0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on christianfocus.com and amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. You got your bibles, let's open up the room. Romans chapter 8, it's going to be our last time together, Um, and it works out perfectly. It really brings us to what our ultimate goal is. So Romans chapter 8, what we're talking about this morning is just the idea of pleasing the Lord, Christian pleasing the Lord. So Romans chapter 8, many would say the greatest chapter of all time, starting verse 1. So really the first three verses in many ways are about justification. We're saved by grace, through faith in Christ, not by works, not by the law. But why? One of the goals of justification is to get us to sanctification, that we start to grow, that we are able, slowly but surely, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to start to genuinely obey the law. Verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the, the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not to submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, he doesn't say it clearly here, but what's the clear implication of verse 8? He's making this contrast between people that live in the flesh people that live in the Spirit. Verse 8 says, If you're in the flesh... you're still dead in your sins it's impossible to please God but then what is the clear implication if you're in the spirit what you can it's possible to please God now I've used this illustration here twice right a Christian justification happens in the cosmic courtroom of the universe the gavel falls not guilty you're clear you're free but then the judge takes off his robe he comes down he adopts you he takes you to his house keeping that illustration in your mind this morning will be very helpful for where we're going because there are christians good christians christians that i love christians that in many ways i respect christians that are pca ministers and they will make this comment well if you're in christ you're always pleasing to god because you're covered by the blood of Jesus. You're covered with the righteousness of Jesus. So every time he looks at you, he sees sinlessly pure righteousness, so he's always pleased with you. And if you think that your works could please God, well then, it's up to you, and you're basically being a legalist. You think it's something that you're doing that you're meriting. And then if you ever think your sin could displease God, well that means God is always displeased with you because God hates all sin, and you're never sinlessly perfect, are you? No. That argument works rationally. But here's the problem with it. Number one, they're still thinking in legal terms. They're not thinking in family terms. And here's the real problem, guys. Every time you look at the word please in the New Testament, in the context of our relationship with God, it's never in a legal language. It's, almost, it's always in this family relationship. Does that make sense? And we're going to look at some examples today. So, um, remember, Christians are not primarily supposed to relate to God anymore as a judge. We're supposed to relate to him as a daddy. Now, what is it you you can get into? Well, what does the word please mean in the Greek? It means basically the same thing it means in English. It means to make somebody happy. That's basically what it means. So we're going to look at three different passages today. Ephesians chapter 4. Everybody flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, Paul basically spends the first three chapters laying down very good, solid, clear gospel theology. You've been chosen, you've been predestined, you've been adopted. And then he really makes a turn at the beginning of chapter 4 into more of the ethical implications of the gospel. Because you've been saved, you need to live like this. So let's start Ephesians chapter 4 and let's start in verse 30. And this is a crucial verse for what we're talking about. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's right. So this my PCA minister friend who's saying, Well, no, God's never, God's always pleased with you because you're in Christ. Well, then what the heck does Ephesians 4:30 mean? Because this says the Holy Spirit can be grieved by my sin, and I should avoid that. Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit like he's a real person, because he is a real person. He has feelings, he has emotions. I've used this illustration in here before. When when Jesus was in the garden, he was grieved. Matthew 26, 37. It's the same word. He was grieved about facing the wrath of God. And the Holy Spirit, when he looks at our sin, he's grieved. He doesn't like it. He's hurt. Notice, uh, because the word's important, it doesn't say angry, right? It's not like this tyrannical wrath I hate you and I'm about to blow you off the face of the universe for what you just did. It's more of when you sin against your spouse. When you sin against your best friend, when you sin against a loving parent, there's grief, there's sadness, there's heaviness of heart. There can be a withdrawal of their presence, of their smile, of their comfort. We know this is true, and it's normal in a in a relationship where at least one of the people is a sinner. John Stott, every spirit-filled believer desires to bring pleasure and not pain to God. John Calvin. The Holy Spirit rejoices when we are obedient to him and is grieved when we give in to the things that are unworthy of our calling. I'm going I'm to read a lot of quotes about a lot of great Reformed theologians and commentators today. And here's, here's one of the reasons. Because unfortunately there's a lot of people in the PCA that are stuck in this. No, no, no. God's always pleased with you. And it's not biblical and it's not even good Reformed theology historically. It, it's, it's aberrant. It's antinomian. Matthew Poole. You can make Him, the Holy Spirit, withdraw His comfortable presence from us. Think about what David prayed in Psalm 51. Restore unto me what? joy? The joy of my salvation. He didn't say restore unto me my salvation. I didn't lose my salvation, but I've lost the joyful experience of my salvation because I've been hard-hearted and hidden in my sin. Matthew Henry, don't provoke the blessed Spirit of God to withdraw His presence and His gracious influence from you. Now, listen as I'm about to read a long list of ethical commands. Okay? This is all in the context of not your legal justification, but in your daily duty to obey God. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Why? Because that's the kind of stuff that grieves the Holy Spirit. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Why? That's the kind of stuff that makes the Holy Spirit happy. Chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this is not against the gospel. This is built on the gospel. The gospel is the foundation of this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking that are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Right? If you persevere in obvious sinful things like sexual immorality, you're not a Christian. You die and go to hell. Can a Christian stumble and fall into those things? Yes. But a Christian doesn't live in those things permanently. Verse 7. Therefore, do not associate with them, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10. If you underline, underline this one. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. A mature Christian takes time, effort, energy to think, to pray, to ask advice. Right? We've had some good conversations here after class about... How do you use your time and stuff like that? And there's not a verse that says, well, thou shalt sleep seven hours a night. You have to use the brain God's given you based off of biblical principles to think, how can I apply this in my life in the way that would most honor God, would most make him happy? Think about when you were falling in love, when you were dating, engaged, early married. There was a sense in which you wanted to figure out what is my spouse like? then how can i do it to make them happy and on our best days that's not mercenary right i mean because we're sinful we can do that in a mercenary way i'm going to scratch her back so she'll scratch mine but when we're caught up in a real sense of love it's like i just like this person i like them to be happy i like to see them smile so i do want to go buy them a gift that they're actually going to enjoy because it is more blessed to give than to receive That's a good picture of what our love ought to look like to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What makes him happy when I do this? And then I'll do it because my joy is in his joy. John MacArthur. Warren Wearsby, they both give the example uh, it's pretty interesting um, I wondered kind of like okay did one of y'all copy the other one or not give credit but doesn't matter uh, of not being afraid to put your luggage through an x-ray machine when you go to the airport because I don't have any weapons in there I'm not worried I'm not scared there is a sense in which I ought to be able to say to the Holy Spirit look at my life and find pleasure that does not mean sinless perfection and, and here's, here's the thing that will get this the easiest. Wait till you have children. You know, and, and maybe your little two-year-old comes home and like, drew a picture of you. And you look at it, and it just looks like scribble-scrabble. It looks like nothing, like a human being even. It's not even a good stick figure. But there will be real joy in your heart. You drew a picture of me, buddy? You tried? I'm putting it on the refrigerator. Now, if a friend comes over, especially a friend that doesn't have any kids yet, they're like... Why do you have this trash on your refrigerator, you know? And you're like, man, my son made that. I have joy. Of course, it's not Picasso. We're not going to go sell it in any art museum anytime soon. But I have joy because of the relationship and because it was something genuine in his heart that wanted to please and honor me. Did he do an excellent job? Not really. He did the best he could with his two-year-old hands and brain. And when... I, as a genuine believer, am trying to please the heart of my father, even though, yes, it's still shot through with sinful motives and tainting. If I was put in the courtroom of the universe again, I'd be blown away into hell. But I'm not in the courtroom of the universe anymore. I'm in the family room with my daddy, and he's gracious. We shouldn't be afraid to put our lives in front of him. This should be our lifelong ambition. I want to choose TV shows, language, what I eat, what I drink, how I sleep, how I spend my free time, how I do in my ministry, everything, will it please the Lord? So, you please God by obeying. Second, you please God by trusting. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. Again, somebody, you know, again if, if somebody was in here and they were hearing all this, and maybe they were in a PCA church that's been kind of teaching, the wrong view of this say, well that just sounds like works man that just sounds like legalism it sounds like you're having to work to please the lord no, no it's all built on faith it's all flowing from faith look at hebrews chapter 11 starting in verse 5 by faith enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because god had taken him now before he was taken he was commended as having pleased god now without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever exists—excuse me—but who for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So, do you remember? We won't take time to flip back there. If you go back to the early chapters of Genesis and you look at what it says about Enoch, it's not much. But what does it say about Enoch? What's, the, what's kind of the one famous verse about Enoch? You don't have to quote it perfectly, but what does it say Enoch did? He walked with God, then he was not. He walked with God, and he was not. So when we talk about somebody's walking with God, what do we mean? Close relationship. Yeah. Close right. He's obeying God. Right? He's walking closely with him. Again, think about the father-son imagery. If, if I'm walking through a busy airport or, or someplace like that in a busy city, I might say to my son, stay close to me, son. This is dangerous. Walk in step with me. Hold my hand, stay near to me, don't pull away, don't rebel, don't run away. Right? Walking implies closeness, nearness, intimacy, obedience. That's what Enoch was doing. But why was Enoch doing that? Because he had faith. Why should it? Listen, if you're just obeying, again, in a mercenary way, for every good work I do, I will get a reward. It doesn't work in a tit for tat relationship, but if there's this deep underlying faith, my God is real. My God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. That's part of the reason I'm obeying. I love him. He's a good God. He's worthy of it. Martin Booser, that the Lord rewards his people for their good works is not the ground of their righteousness, but purely from his free grace and for the sake of his dear son, which through him he affects in us and rewards so graciously. He is rewarding his works and gifts in us. there was a French reformer, and he said, it is sheer profanity to speak of the merit of works, especially in the presence of God. Guys, so in some sense, it would be like God grades Christians on the curve. He's so in love with the children that are in his classroom that even though they're all failing the class on their own merit, they're trying so genuinely with the power that he has given them that he's happy to round up and say, You're doing great. You got an A. Right? With the gospel, sincerity is perfection. That's one of the Puritans. Can't remember right now. Here's a helpful summary God's love for a Christian is constant, it never ebbs, it never flows. God's pleasure in a Christian does ebb. It does flow. It does go up and down. And again, think about the best human relationships that you have. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? If you're married, there ought to be a sense to your wife you say, I love you. I'll never stop loving you. And my love will not be based on if you cooked a good dinner, yes or no. But if you burn the t- toast now, I don't love you anymore. But I can't, if I'm honest, what I say is, yes, my pleasure in you does go up and down. If you're a nice wife and a respectful wife and a godly wife and a helpful wife, then I have joy in you. If I come home and you're in a terrible mood and you're drunk and you're, you know, breaking dishes and screaming at me, I I love you still, I'm committed, but I don't like you very much in the moment. You're not pleasing to me. And you're like, hey, getting too close to home. Okay, imagine your hypothetical children you'll have one day, okay? And they're in a bad mood. You'll love them, but it's like, I'm not putting up with your bad mood. I don't enjoy you right now. You're not fun for me. And this reflects something of our relationship with Father God. Charles Hodge, the great Princeton Presbyterian professor, for about 50 years, he said this, There is no inconsistency in the Scripture denying all merit to believers and yet teaching that they will be rewarded according to their works. I can never claim any merit. Look at what I did. God gets all the credit, right? Because he gave me the power. He gave me the Holy Spirit. He raised me from the dead. I mean... Imagine Lazarus, after he's been raised, sitting at the banquet, people are celebrating him. He's like, yeah, man. You see how awesome I am? Just walked out of that tomb. It's amazing. Like, you're a moron. Yes, you walked really good. You're a great walker, but you can't take credit for that walking. You were dead a minute ago, and Jesus spoke life. The only thing you can do is give all the credit and praise to Jesus for whatever kind of walking you're doing. And it's the same thing in our spiritual life. If somebody ever says, right, y'all are probably going to have this at some point, a student in your ministry, man, I just, I've just i learned so much from you. I admire so much in your walk. You need to act like He's like, thank you. That, that incredible. But you know, it's not, it really is not me. And I'm not just saying this because this is what good men are. It's like, I really mean it. If it was left up to me. I'd still be dead in my sins. All the credit, all the praise, all the glory goes to the Lord Jesus. Listen, I had a friend who was in a PCA church that didn't really teach this. And when he first started seeing this in the scripture, he was like, this has become a whole new radical, powerful motive for me to be holy. Right? If you really love God, and that that makes sense. He's a believer. He's just been getting some bad teaching. But once he heard, wait, you're telling me that my practical daily obedience can really bring some sort of tangible joy to God's heart? That's like nuclear power in your heart to say, I want to obey, man. It's good to obey. I like to obey. Here's Derek Kidner. To hear God's well done is the most innocent and most cleansing of ambitions. Again, you guys are going to be so ready to have children from all the illustrations I've used in here. But when I, right, you, all little kids do this watch me daddy look at what i can do on the monkey bars look how fast i can go down the slide are you watching they want you to watch them and be happy that's normal that's right that's godly that ought to be the way that we look at father god john owen a christian's greatest pleasure is god's smile and the thing he hates most from god is god's frown john stott our acceptance before god isn't due to our observance of the law but Christians are still under obligation to keep God's moral law and commandments. Pleasing God is the foundation on which Christian ethical behavior is built. This is super helpful. Christ's yoke is easy, provided we submit to it. Right? If When I'm trying to live like a rebellious Christian, Christ's yoke does not feel easy. It feels oppressive, does it not? But when I submit to him and I say, I, I want to walk, I'm not perfect, I'm trying to keep up, but I want to walk closely with you, Savior. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. John Stott also makes the point that pleasing God it avoids the, the rigidness of the Pharisees, the Pharisees. Right? It's a flexible principle. We've talked about this in here. What pleasing God exactly looks like for me on a day-to-day basis may not be exactly what it looks like for Reed or for Ben or for anybody to please God. There's personal applications. Yes, we all have to conform to the standard of Scripture. When it gets down to the concrete shoe leather of shoe leather, what that looks like on a day-to-day basis, what obedience looks like for me as a 45-year-old full-time minister is going to be different than what obedience looks like for my 15-year-old daughter, right? Should me and my daughter both be meditating on Scripture and praying every single day? I think yes. I think those are biblical principles. Joshua 1, 8 and 9, the Lord's Prayer. My prayer life, my meditation life ought to be a lot more mature and extensive than my 15 year old daughters, right? But God might have more pleasure in my daughters' three minute quiet time than my one hour quiet time based on the motive and attitudes of our heart. Make sense? It's very, very relational, guys. And it, it, it's freeing, it's flexible, it's not a rigid law. The Pharisees, they just focus on laws and law-keeping. It's like, did you check the box? Good. That's all that matters. But it's really more, it's a self-centered thing. I'm trying to protect myself. I'm trying to earn something. Christian is fixated on God. I love you. I respect you. I honor you. I want to please you. It's not like a list of how to do something perfectly. It's, It's a thousand different circumstances. Whether you eat, whether you drink, do everything for the glory of God. Listen, a works-based religion can't handle this. It's crushing. That's that's what we did a whole lesson on. To some degree, legalism is really subtracting from the law. It's right-sizing the law. It's boiling it down to a couple of man-made, external, ceremonial-type things. I can say, look what I did. I fasted twice a week. What else do you want from me? And this is your whole life, your heart. Okay, Hebrews 13. Let's flip over there. Pleasing God by glorifying God. You please God by glorifying God. Hebrews chapter 13. One of the greatest benedictions. This is one of the benedictions Reverend Barker used to use often. Almost all the time. Hebrews 13, starting verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Just stop there. This is not anti-gospel, guys. This is not anti-justification. I mean, this is all gospel, justification founded. But it doesn't stop there. The goal of Christianity is not just, well, get him in the kingdom. That's all that matters. No, no, no. Get him in the kingdom is the beginning. Get him in the kingdom. I got a I got a friend who texted me this morning is like, hey, going to the hospital, my wife to have the baby. In one sense, this is a nine-month culmination, right? Very exciting. In another sense, it's like, well hang on, buddy, you, know, you just signed up for at least an 18-year journey. Really, probably going to be a lot longer than that. This is the beginning. It's exciting, but it's a whole life of training this kid. Verse 21, equip you with every good thing, every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. You see that? He's saying, I want God to equip you, Christian." with every good thing why so that you can obey him you can do his will I want God to work in us what the things that are pleasing to him now they're pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ if you take away the blood of Jesus of course I can't please God he's fixing us the quip is the same word here that you used to talk about in the gospels when the disciples were fixing their nets mending their nets he's mending us he's fixing us this may be a key point because, if you, again, if you're trying to teach this stuff, explain this stuff to someone who's very hyper-grace, and they may say, talk to them about the, the role of the law, the moral law, and the Christian's obedience, they may say, you know, there's a guy named Tullian Chavidian, I don't know if you all remember him. Okay, wrote a couple books. Didn't end real well, but he leaned a little bit hyper-grace, antinomian, I think why came out one of the things he said is the law can't empower you to obey. It's like that's true. Amen. The law can't empower me to obey. We've said this in here before, right? But the law's like my map. The law's like my GPS. It can't get me there, but it tells me the best way to go. And the Holy Spirit is like the fuel in my car. The nuclear generator on the submarine to move me forward. I'm justified by God's work. He made peace with me. How? By killing and then raising Christ and making him my shepherd through the blood of the eternal covenant. That's what we've been talking about all semester long. But that's not all he does. He also equips me. He enables me to do the things that please him. Here's a word that has just helped me so much. Appropriate. I have to appropriate the resources that he's putting in my inner man and bring them out into real life one more verse and we'll be done Colossians chapter 1 Colossians chapter 1 verse 29 for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me if you think the Christian life is all your strength and all your striving you're a legalist if you think the Christian life is it's all his strength and it's all his striving, you're a libertine. If you think it's all his strength and it's all my striving, okay, there's the mature Christian. What resources do you have? Of myself, none. Right? That's that's Paul in Romans 7. I can't do this on my own. Yet by the end of the chapter he says, the thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, yes. I am being changed. I am growing. I've got to strive, but it's all his strength. And guys, I think you're already doing this. You're reading some of your papers. Know yourself. Know what camp you tend to fall into. And and the reality is for a lot of us, we're like a drunk driver weaving back and forth between both ditches, right? We have a week of being a little bit of a legalist, and the next week we're overcorrecting, and I'll be a little bit of a a libertine. I remember talking to a guy in a Sunday school class, it's been a decade ago here, I was teaching some of this and he said you know my 20's were all about he, it was his 40th birthday and he came up to me he said uh, my 20's were all about being a legalist my 30's really have all been about being a libertine I really want my 40's to all be about being a mature Christian I was really hopeful he's divorced now didn't end well. Why why do I end with such a sad, sobering story? This is not just kind of seminary, interesting, academic stuff to talk about with your PCA buddies at General Assembly over a cup of coffee to score points. This is life or death stuff. This is ruin people's lives or bless people's life stuff. We've got to be radically serious about I love Jesus, I hate sin, but I'm so weak, and there's a part of me that's still so attracted, not to all sin, but there's two or three that seem like they really got a grip on my soul 30 years later. And I need the grace of God because I can't do it alone. I need the grace of God to forgive me, and then I need the grace of God not to stop there, but to empower me to change and help me persevere and grow. And I want to work in some sense... Like it all depends on me, but I want to pray like it all depends on Him. I want to live in that balance, live in that tension. I can only please God as the works that I do are sprinkled by the blood of Christ, right? A true Christian, you're never so sinful that God's grace and mercy in Christ can't cover you, but you're never so practically righteous. That you don't still need the grace and mercy of Christ to cover you. On your best days, on your holiest days, if you live to be 120, and you're the next St. Augustine, and everybody's like, this is the greatest Christian since the Apostle Paul. Ben Stallings, 120, right? He's written in 100 books. On that day, Ben Stallings will still need grace of Christ covering all his good works. Right? So do I. So do you. Two thoughts and we're done. Okay. My sinful deeds now, they're not the same. They're not the exact same as they were before I was in Christ. There is a sense now, before I'm a Christian, there was no good in me, right? There's no good in the non-Christian. No real good before Jesus Now there is some influence of the Holy Spirit. Some some gold is starting to develop in my life and my heart that pleases the Lord. It's not pure gold. It still needs to be refined, but there's gold. Where it used to just be wood, hay, and stubble, now there is some gold, silver, precious jewels. But it's not refined. It needs to be refined. Why do we suffer so much in the Christian life? God's refining us. He's pruning us. It still needs to be covered by the blood of Jesus. But there is some gracious work happening. there. I'm being changed slowly but surely. And here's, you know, there's a couple of different songs that say this. One of my favorites was by a band called Caveman's Call. I don't know if you all remember them. But it goes, when I stand on the edges of Jordan, the saints and the angels surround. When my body is healed and the glory revealed, still I can boast only Christ. Right? When we get to heaven and we are sinlessly perfect, righteous, pure, every single thing we do, None of us is going to be looking around saying, look how holy I am now. It's all going to be like, he did it. He's still doing it. Right? He's still sustaining me in heaven. He gets all the credit, all the praise, all the glory. Father, you're such a good God. We are are such unworthy servants. Sometimes it's out of ignorance, Father. We're literally trying our best. Of course, our best is not good enough to save ourselves and, and, and sometimes we're doing the wrong things out of ignorant motives. But then sometimes even we know the right thing, we, we choose to rebel, we choose to abuse your grace. And I, we're sorry, Father. We wanna grow, we wanna change, we wanna be sanctified. Would you give us extra grace like you talk about in James four to sanctify us, to grow us up, to speed up the sanctification process as fast as it can go in this life. And yet we know, No matter how far, how fast we grow, we're always going to be dependent on you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the covering. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the grace of Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who is making us into the men you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.